Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. Socialist think tankers or socialist tank thinkers and to the uh, 55th edition of Political Unmuted. It is so good to have you here. Um, now, you, you, just uh, a couple of things before we start. I know that we have listeners from all over the world and some of you are having horrific weather and, 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 and God bless you. I'm so sorry uh, from what we're hearing from all over the world. But here, you have to understand the north of England is in a very unaccustomed heat wave. So if you see your um, uh, speakers tonight visibly wilting and falling asleep, it's because <laughs> we've been absolutely cooking. And you remember, it said we got Neanderthal bloody Narvain to be able to allow us to, genes to allow us to cope with the cold. And, and, and so, so this is just too hot. And I was gardening all morning and I've been decorating all afternoon. So if you see me, uh, so the freeze, it's not the computer that's gone wrong, it's my old bones that have finally given up the way. It's sort of lovely to see you, great to see you, gosh, great show for you tonight, it's so exciting. And I'm going to welcome um, sort of our guest. Um, big fuss over Paul Daly, the star of the show, the leader of the socialist think tank, the, 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 the tech guru who puts it all online and, and sort of and uh, generally a, a decent good guy. Lovely to see you, Paul. Hi. Hi. I don't, why, why the big fuss? I oh, I, I'll tell you in a little while. Um, okay, so you're the strong, silent type who always comes out with those brilliant statements, sort of one of the nicest, kindest men you could ever hope to meet. Hi, Stuart. Hiya. And Samantha, and sort of very, very important member of the county councillor, uh, sort of, uh, sort of, Miss Shildon or Mrs. Shildon, sort of, um, and uh, sort of uh, are basically our recourse when we want to know anything about um, Durham County. Hi, Sam. And the reason is for this, of course, um, that um, we've got a guest today, and I'm now going to pay a lot of attention to my guest. And I've always thought it wasn't fair that I make such a fuss of the guest and the normal guests. They just sort of get, oh, yes, you're, you're just normal. And so I made a big fuss of the normal ones as well. Hiya, Tina. Hello. How are you? Hi, we, we, we're great here. Now, sort of, um, I'm now going to sort of subject you to intense questioning because everybody out there wants to know who you are. First of all, tell us about yourself. Who are you are? What, what, what do you do? Sort of, um, we'd, like, we'd love to know. The international woman of mystery, is that what you're getting at, John? <laughs> uh, so, well, if you, if, if, we've never had an international woman of mystery. If you can be that, yes. Please. Well, I'm not one of those either, you know, pretty bland, pretty boring, um, just love, love a bit of chit chat, love a bit of politics, love a bit of socialism. Um, I think, you know, some people do know me from uh, appearing in socialist think tank programmes before, I'm a, an ex-parliamentary candidate for the Labour Party for my sins. I survived that. I'm still alive. 
um, fighting fit um, just about in this heat wave. Um, us Irish people are the similar to yourselves in the north, uh, the northeast. We're not really used to this like hot burning thing in the sun and it's you know like running and hiding and then complaining about it for the rest of the year that we don't get to see it but <laughs> hey ho no thanks for having me on really looking forward to this tonight it's thank you such a delight um i saw um, on your um gosh i was um uh were you stalking me john profile. yes i saw <laughs> that yeah you're a member of the campaign to reinstate, uh, or you were advertising the campaign to reinstate Jeremy Corbyn. And, of course. The Labour what Party. socialist wouldn't? So to, um, tell me what you think of um, the current, well, I think they've, you were telling us earlier that they've actually taken the decision to um, expel um, hundreds of members who, who won that kind of thing? What, what, what's your opinion on that? Well, how long have you got? Uh, we'll be here all night chatting about this if you yeah, let me go that. off on one. But no, um, I've just got to say that, you know, it's it's a bit of a farce, really. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty much posturing, isn't it? I mean, the only way that you're going to get to expel members is, you know, from particular organisations is if you have evidence of people being in their organisations. So good luck to them trying to find those people. I think it'll be fun to watch in the in the coming months. But I just think it's, you know, it's deeply sad, deeply worrying and also, you know, quite funny that, you know, this is where the, the adults now back in charge seem to be focusing, you know, their um, attention on and I think there's a hell of a lot of things that the leadership of the Labour Party could be focusing on at the moment, um, in brackets, pandemic, close brackets. Um, and that's just the start of it, you know, but to be focusing on such a, you know, a limited amount of people. But I just think I, I would like to know, I mean, the majority of the electorate aren't going to know who half of these people are, half of these organisations are. And I think for someone who stood on um, a platform of unity and a platform of, of um, kind of non-factionalism uh, as, as the leader um, stood on whenever he was running to be leader, I just think it's, you know, the hypocrisy, you know, is shining through to everybody. And I'd like to know what, you know, the general public are thinking, you know, when they've seen you know, this leadership proposal that he put together, new leadership, it's all, you know, about unity and I'm going to be the person to bring people together. And then all that he's ever done since he's come in it, it is act in a factional way. So I'd be interested. I would like to know if anybody has any, you know, questions tonight. It would be interesting to see what, you know, people's opinion is. And I just have one more question. I got something, uh, I'm going to take another couple of minutes with the, the welcome. We're going to go to sixth of the show to the welcomes. Um, do you think it's possible for a Marxist to be a member of the Labour Party? Why wouldn't it be? You know, I mean, it, it should be the natural home of, of, you know, of a Marxist. However, um, I think the, the current form of the Labour Party and the history of the Labour Party, you know, this is another conversation, is maybe not what many members of the Labour Party think that, that it is, what it functions as. And my opinion of that may differ to some, some others, and maybe that's a whole other show that we'll get involved in. And no doubt Paul will be messaging me later on to see whether I want to come on and rabbit on about it. But I do think that, you know, there is this notion of there being a broad church 
But I think the broad church only appeals to one wing of the party and the rest are not included in that broad church. They're maybe too broad for the church. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Um, Listen to me being all diplomatic tonight and not exactly, giving it all yeah. large. <laughs> well, you know, we hate it when people are diplomatic. We love it when you're in the street. Um, the, um, uh, I remember when I joined the Labour Party, there were an awful lot of people who had been communists in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. and, and they switched to Labour um, after the war. Um, it, it's crazy that, that, that you, the, 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 to think that the two things are incompatible. Um, uh, the other thing is, is that I am famous on this show for loving an Irish accent. And Are you I am sick of mine by the end of the show? Delighted to note that Neil Terry loves an Irish accent too. So it costs Samantha gets cross with me when I say so. And so thank you, Neil. A bit of uh, solidarity. Uh, us uh, lads have got to stick together. Anyway, uh, I am now going to move on to... Hello. Tap, tap, tap. Is this thing on? Uh, I am learning. I've only been doing this for a year. <laughs> Can't possibly have things all smoothed out and working yet. I'm going to start with Kat Cray's rant because it deserves to be read out. Uh, she says, at some point, we need to have a serious discussion about the role public transport plays. It serves a healthy democracy. It's not about getting a banker to work on rush hour, but either way, transport workers are being put at risk through the lifting of restrictions. Aerosol transmission has been deliberately played down by the government, and that is murderous in my view. Um, Kat's voice always deserves a bit of amplification. She always speaks great sense and from experience uh, of what people are actually feeling and people are actually experiencing. Um, and, and this is the thing, this is one of the things that has been really glossed over, hasn't it? Uh, the, 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 the talk on the TV was all, uh, if I go somewhere where there are elderly people, I might put a mask on out of courtesy, but always forgetting that there are always people with you who work there, who aren't gonna tell you to mask up, but don't have the choice other than to spend a long time of their day <laughs> potentially being infected by people who are passing through um, and especially on on the tube where there's you know no ventilation at all I do have lots of lots of sympathy and solidarity for those people and this this whole this is the, the other thing isn't it because nationally and legally the, the mask restrictions have been lifted but actually it, it's not been restricted on some parts are on the tube, but it has been lifted on the overground trains. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's very confusing and confusion is a problem in terms of helping keeping people, helping to keep people safe. That's what something else the cat told me recently. See, I listen to your cat, even if my mouth isn't actually working to form words at the moment. Um, so yeah, anybody want to say anything on all of that? I just I, that that's part of the reason why I said like I'll be wearing masks on public transport and stuff and also it's not just that it's like when I said I wasn't wearing them at work today no one was wearing one and you wear them for other people so if no one's wearing one then they're not worried about it anymore but like if you 
even if there's one person with a mask on in there, probably everyone should because like they're probably worried. They're probably thinking, actually, I don't want to catch this. And uh, and then you've got to be respectful of people and you might pass it on to someone who's healthy if you've got it, but that they might but, pass it on to someone who isn't and, and, and so on. So I think it's about respect for one another and, and trying to do your best to stop the spread. At the same time, it's such a confused message. I think the message is confused, yes, but I think this notion that we all have to act like we have a virus that we don't have, is it is a bit ridiculous. Um, and I think that... If you look at the evidence on mask wearing, it's the even the, the the WHO, the WHO are saying that you know mask wearing does not make a difference to the passing on of the virus. That the wearing of masks is about public confidence. It's about you know making people feel safe rather than it actually doing anything. And this is my problem with people who want to criticize people who choose to not wear a mask. Um, and you're not not protecting someone. You're actually looking at the science of wearing a mask and it, it does not prevent you passing on a virus wearing a mask. It's about making people feel comfortable. It was about because they spent so long making people fearful of the virus, that people weren't going to come out of their houses. So they decided to use the mask so that it made people feel more comfortable about coming out. And I think that we have to be looking at the science on these things, which is that it doesn't prevent spread of the virus and it doesn't prevent people from getting the virus. And I think we have to be realistic about that. I think, you know, there are significant factors which will lead to people, you know, spreading a virus and, and, and catching a virus. And, you know, I think, you know, that, that we do need to, I think the issue that, that, that I find more uh, frustrating about it is that individuals are being allowed to attack other individuals and, um, you know, sort of making people feel guilty for not doing something. And I think we should be given the factual information and being allowed to be led by that rather than what the government are doing, which is, it, you know, individualizing the responsibility. And I think that that's the thing that frustrates me more is that the government aren't doing a, a public health message. They're just trying to shirk responsibility on the individuals. And that's their issue when we go back to the conversation about social care, adult social care, about child social care, even about welfare, you know, it's all about individual responsibility. And I think that's what the left should be focusing on, not the individual, but the societal responsibility. It doesn't really, though. It really doesn't. The, the Unless you want to walk around in a hazmat suit, you're not going to, you know, it's not going to make a difference. And I think, you know, that, you know, they, they do really need to be less sort of focused. And I think it's it's like I say, it comes down to this individual responsibility that they're trying to promote across everything. And it isn't just about masks. It's about everything to do with the welfare state that we have. That that's what they're trying to erode constantly is the societal responsibility over individual responsibility. Apparently, I had no sound there. Um, yeah, I I just said it just does depend on the mask. And there's, there's a comment in there from Cat which was saying like basically I said the cloth masks do very little 
but might reduce it marginally and then the the paper ones a bit more and then the proper 3m like asbestos ones actually do something for the wearer and that's uh that's where we came from there so sorry you couldn't hear me there i think there's an issue with the app um i think this crazy that a sort of my son was pinged a couple of days ago and now has to be off work for a week when he rang his colleagues the entire team they're building a motorway somewhere has to be off for a week and basically what's happened is somebody on the team has obviously got it and so despite the fact that they're all um, taking those tests where you twiddle the stick in your nose and your throat and they're the, the, the not being positive um, nevertheless, they've all got to stay at home for a week. It's ridiculous. The, the motorway construction has come to a halt, and and sort of um, and and it strike that strikes me as being crackers. That sort of yeah. like situation where what you say is you say your workmates being uh, pinged. So for God's sake, uh, test yourself every day yeah. before you come in. Um, sort of um, having said that. The other side of the coin, and the worry is, is that people who've been double jabbed are getting it. They're but that was always going to be the case. Not a hundred percent sure, and so so that's okay if you're a, a, a young person and you can say, "Oh, I'm going to have it," and it may it'll be, but it'll be very mild. If you're like Leanne, you're vulnerable, then suddenly um, the fact that even if you're double jabbed you can still get it again, means that the relaxation of um, particularly mask wearing um, absolutely undermines your confidence to go out. And Leanne, I think, has said, you know, basically I'm back in my house now um, because I dared go out. So um, it's getting the balance between those two things, between people using the common sense about whether they've got it or not. Um, and, and a society where, as Paul says, where we respect people's fears and, and we, we act in a way to help other people, not just for ourselves. Yeah. The thing that worries me is that when they said um, we will bring in COVID passports for places like nightclubs in September. And you're like, why September? I've just seen it like. 50 young'uns licking each other's eyeballs in this nightclub and the reason they have to wait till September is because the the young'uns haven't had the chance to get the two vaccines yet so they can't give them a vaccine passport if they haven't had the opportunity to get both vaccines but they are willing to expose them to an unlocked society so that 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 was one another thing that stuck out to me is a bit like and what we need to remember is the people that the Conservatives are playing to, again, are their voter base every time. So the vast majority of the, you know, people who vote Conservative tend to be older and, and, and they've they've had their vaccines for sort of three months now and they're going, well, I've had mine, so everybody's had theirs. And that's not the case. Um, so that's, that's a worry as well. Um, I'm really worried about... 
people on the left supporting vaccine passports. I mean, this I is didn't say oh, I'm dead against them. No, no, I'm just, no, no, I didn't say you did. I'm just saying that I do think that this yeah. is something that the left should be massively against. I mean, a few yeah. years ago, the left were angry about, you know, digital ID cards. And this is exactly what's coming in with vaccine yeah. passports. The statistics show that young people are not very much at risk of the virus. It's forcing people to have a vaccination that they maybe don't want to. We should all be, I mean, whether you're, you know, a supporter of the vaccine or whether you're not, I think that what this is about is about an individual's autonomy, about what you decide should go into your body. And as a young person, you shouldn't be forced to choose between your social life and something that, you know, you may or may not want to do. And I don't think, you know, vaccine passports, it, it's something that, you know, it, it it's just unnecessary, you know, why not have a negative test if that's what we're going to go down? I just think that there's so many things that are, that are being, they're being made out to be a, a sort of way of, of, of showing that you care more for society rather than you care for individual freedoms. And a lot of people want to attach that to being, oh, well, you must be right wing if that's what you think. Well, no, it's about individual freedoms. It is about, you know, the choice that you have as an individual. But looking at things like in particular, how this will very much quickly go into digital ID cards for mm. the, the population. And I think it's really scary. I, I'm, I've actually been quite surprised at the lack of... Um, pushback from people on the left who you know would normally be against this kind of thing so i've, I've used one i've used a, a vaccine pass um because i went to one of the trial events but you had to for wimbledon but it was really really weird and very worrying so if you've had the vaccine it doesn't mean you don't carry it mm-hmm. doesn't mean you don't carry it doesn't mean you don't get it doesn't mean you can't pass it on what it means so why is have a vaccine you might passport? not you might you might become you might become less poorly yeah. So why so should why people with vaccine vaccines be, be treated as, as different yeah. to that? So like um, what happened is, and, and it was it was useful in a way that we got in quicker, but it was very uncomfortable when like they came along the line and said, right, have you been double jabbed? Yes, I've got my NHS app. And in that, you've got your little thing mm-hmm. that I had a screenshot of that could have been anyone's. And they scanned it, they scanned it, and then they gave me a little gold wristband and I walked to the front of the queue and it was really weird and I didn't quite like the way we've become like a tiered society. Medical can be apartheid. a very worrying thing. Yeah. But really, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there and this is, this is where I think you cannot seem to have a balanced conversation with people about this because the moment that you somehow raise a concern or an objection, you're automatically labelled a COVID-idiot. So I have issues with vaccine passports. Now, I am not a COVID denier. My mum had COVID. She was in ICU on oxygen for, you know, 10 days. I am not a denier of COVID. What I'm frustrated about is the, the miscommunication, the misuse of information, and then the, the complete inability of the left to articulate uh, an opposition two things that we should be in opposition to so you know like paul like you've rightly said you know the the being vaccinated doesn't stop you getting or passing on the virus so why should we be looking at things like vaccine passports because you can still regardless of having that passport or not still pass on or or you know get the virus and i think that people aren't willing to 
see past the oh we must act for the greater good there's a there's this um there's a benevolence of the left there's a oh we must act for the greater good you know we must all stand on the pulpit and we must be the people who act for the greater good that tends to overshadow what we should be considering here and what are the implications of not offering opposition to things that we would have op offered opposition to before and I think very quickly we're going to be down the road where a lot of people on the left are going to go oh how did we get to where we're all you know digital id and you know and we're all this and how did we get here oh oh dear oh dear you know when we should be now saying hold on a minute let's be realistic about this we're not denying the issue that there is a virus but what we should be looking at are the ulterior motives that the authoritarian right-wing government are using mm. and, and what they're doing to get where they want to be. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. And I'm afraid that there are too few people willing to do that on the left at the moment. I think it's also incumbent on the left to think about how these decisions impact on marginalised communities. I always, always initially instinctively go to uh, women who are trying to, or people with uteruses who are trying to conceive a child. Uh, if you are currently trying to get pregnant, you might choose, you might want a COVID vaccine, but you might choose to do that in 10 months time rather than right now, if you don't know whether you're pregnant or not. Whether the science says it's safe before, prior, during pregnancy or not, people make decisions mm -hmm. about their bodies during and before pregnancy that aren't always based on scientific fact. Um, so when it came up about care homes, that was my first thing. So are we gonna force people who are trying to conceive to out themselves to their employers as somebody who wants to get pregnant, therefore probably putting their employment in jeopardy actually, because a lot of people are working very precarious um, in very precarious ways in care homes. But it goes the same with, uh, with <laughs> nightclubs as well. Are we gonna say that young women who are trying to conceive actually should stay at home where they're safe? And those kinds of uh, <laughs> words worry me, but th this, is, this is the actual impact of these mm -hmm. things um, and then what if you know you are living uh, an identity which does not correspond to your vaccine passport mm -hmm. because you're in the middle of transitioning or you are non-binary presenting and and they go well, that's not you and but it is <laughs> that's my medical records you know so it's very very easy to see how this causes issues for people who already have enough on their plate um, and like I said I just don't see the scientific reason like if if it was 100% having the vaccine stopped you from being a carrier then I think that would be a different debate but we don't seem to have those those facts um, and like Catherine's just said in the comments, you do have to be careful if you're pregnant. For example, thalidomide, the mm -hmm. uh, hormonal, hormone uh, birth um, pregnancy test, which I only just found about because it was on the on the news, uh, where women women took a pill, and basically, if you had a period, then you weren't pregnant. Mm -hmm. I mean. That was barbaric already, <laughs> and it caused birth defects. Um, and and of they, course, they are, they are, all kinds of yeah. 
Things. But they are actually advising women who are hoping to get pregnant in the near future not to have the vaccine. Pregnant women are not having the vaccine. So I think, you know, what we're talking about is isolating a lot of parts of society. But also, we're, you know, when we're looking at, you know, migrants, when we're looking at asylum seekers coming in, you know, to the country. This is what this is all about. And I think the left are being blindsided because the left want to take the moral high ground. Oh, we will look after society. I think we have to take a step back. And actually look at what this scenario is and, and be realistic about it. And I think, you know, I, I'm deeply, deeply saddened by the fact that we don't seem to have anybody on the left, you know, willing to stand up uh, and be counted because they're all too afraid of being labelled a COVID idiot or a COVID denier or, you know, whatever it may be that may harm their electoral chances. And I think... For me, it's really exposed just exactly um, the merits of the left. And and I've been, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I'm angry. I mean, I, I'm not going to deny very much at the start of the pandemic. You know, when my mom caught the virus, I was completely and utterly terrified by it and, and you know, w- was completely, you know, a, a, on board with everything. And then the more that you read, the more that you see, the more the statistics that you look, we have to look at dealing with this in a different way. And I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying that. And I think, mm. you know, that there's a bigger question rather than maybe taking the moral high ground here, that there's a lot of people affected by by some decisions that are being a made. A lot and, of um, discussion going on on the, um, uh, ta- uh, the, 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 the comments th- uh, thread, uh, Sam, on this. Uh, a lot of um, uh, polarised disagreement. Um, Stuart, have you got a view on this? There's lots of things going through my head right now, and there's clearly the idea, you know, that this is going to cause workplace concerns, and for the most part, it's it's the the safety blanket to a child, isn't it? And at the end of the but from a purely political manoeuvring position i don't think that this would be too long lasting simply on the we've got the tories that are already looking to to push through like reforms so you get voter id stuff aren't there and if you made it compulsory that you had to get a pass like a covid passport if it was then transformed into you know an id card of some form what you've essentially done is just giving everybody free id which completely neutralizes what you were doing before. So I think that this will be a very short, you know, uh, time frame thing where the comfort blanket will just be pulled away quite quickly. We'll have a couple of years and then they'll start trialing the, their new different ID system over. I think, like, looking at the comments as well, Tim's, like, obviously, they rightly really worries about, like, you know, he's had family members die and, and, and so on um, from this. And I don't think anyone's saying that this isn't a reality. It, it's more the... I thought it was particularly weird that I was privileged by having my COVID passport because I'd had two jabs when there isn't actually evidence that I will not pass it on if I caught mm-hmm. it. I work in a school and the app really worries me as well because the app is not protecting anyone so (laughs) much so that I think it might actually be random. And I'll give you a couple of examples here. I have a friend 
His partner tested positive, who he lives in the house with. Both of them have the app. She tested positive, he wasn't pinged. Mm. They're together all the time. With the phones, like, really close to one another. Both of them with the app on all the time. I've been to Wimbledon. I sat in a stadium with 15,000 people. I wasn't pinged. I'm thinking, how can I not be pinged? Like, there's got to be someone there. I was on trains. I did all sorts of different things. I went to a rally in London. It wasn't pinged. I went to Liverpool. I wasn't pinged. You know, I don't think that app does anything. I don't think it works. I don't think it does anything when you check into a place or anything. I think it's there to make it appear as if something is happening. Yeah. That's not to say that there are apps around the world that don't work. I just think the fact that we spent billions and billions and gave a lot of money to one of the friends of the Tories wasn't necessarily to make something work well, given that, like, you know, She's Ireland managed to do it for five million euros, didn't they? Five million mm. euros? Less? At the it, island. Was, it was less than that? And and they managed to have a functioning track and trace system before we did, and we spent billions, and I think ours is made up. And that's based upon a lot of people I've spoken to who haven't been pinged where you think, I've got to have been. I've, I've, I've been in close proximity to this many people, whether that's wearing masks, whether it's not, you know, I should have been pinged. I haven't. There's some stuff I think that would back that up. And that's the fact that the government said that they'll only enforce your isolation, like legally, if you've been contacted by track and trace, like over the phone. And but they won't for the app. Which makes me think that they have absolutely no data, you have no idea if it's gone off. You know, uh, that it's not because they don't want to enforce it it's that they have no practical data that would allow them to it's probably a bit like you know whenever they do sanctions in the job center and they've got like you've got to do 17 percent a day so they have to like ping out so many people a day you know and it's just like random you know it's like oh shit we've got to like you know ping a thousand people today let's just do this you know bing 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 you know yeah i just uh yeah you know it's been handled really badly and i think 37 billion or whatever it costed is just an absolute it's just it's a pure daylight robbery you know when things can be done so much cheaper and we know that but where's the anger instead of the public being angry with the people in power who have blatantly robbed billions from you know the public finances and then try to tell us that there's no crisis in social care and we don't have the money to fix it uh, you must pay more People are angry with each other for not wearing a mask. Get a grip. You know, let's be realistic here. You know, it's not Joe Bloggs down the road not wearing his mask. That's the problem. The problem are the people in power who are making these decisions, who have ripped us off, who are now going to, you know, bring in austerity again. But everybody else is, people are too annoyed, too angry and too focused on the wrong things. And I think it's about time people took a step back and realise what the priorities are and, and how are we going to fix these things. Schools open with tape on floor. It's like, it's like, oh, we'll put some tape on the floor and then they'll walk that way, they'll walk that way. It's a little bit like, like I used to say, do you know smoking areas in a restaurant? And it was like having a pissing area in a swimming pool. It like, yeah. you know, it permeates. So it, it's like, well, you know, if you just stay in it, if you just walk this little pathway, 
That will keep you safe. Why can pubs only open until 12 o'clock? What happens to the virus after 12 o'clock? Yeah, you know, these, these, why can I, I can't walk, I can walk around a pub with a mask on, but I have to sit down with it, with it off. What is this? Mm. It's just nonsense. And I don't think people are thinking these things through enough. Mm. And we're being just made to think of these certain things rather than hang on a minute, let's step back here and be a bit realistic, Mm. you know. And then Neil, Neil, sorry, I don't know if you wanted to bring that in, Samantha. Neil's comment about the um, about Johnson and Sunak being randomly selected for the <laughs> the pilot. Oh gosh, well that was a light, a bit of light relief, wasn't it? Watching them do do the U turn uh, dance the other day. <laughs> I was actually, I, I was out, I was out feeding the chickens when it popped up on our watch that they went, oh, actually, we will self isolate now that we've been bad over the head and i was just like why can't you just do the right thing i don't understand i watched that they were all actually (laughs) i wasn't talking to you siri (laughs) 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 Uh, why can't they do the right thing the first time why do they need there to be criticism for them to go oh actually yes uh there is no pilot scheme It's the uh, thing is always. after after all these deaths, after all these deaths, after all the pain they've caused, and every little bit of chaos, and these stupid things about like COVID not getting you when you when you're sitting down and stuff. After all that, they still think we are stupid enough to think that they were selected at random for a pilot <laughs> scheme. But why wouldn't they, Paul? Because the majority of the public tend to believe the shit they come out with anyway. They'll pick up the sun, they'll pick up the star, they'll pick up the express and they'll believe the bullshit that they're told and they get away with it. They've got away with it for how many years now? They've got away with it for telling us. It's, it goes back to the, the question that, you know, that I raised in the other half of the show, the hypocrisy of Patel and Boris Johnson. They tried to get away with that because they know that if the media buys it, the public will accept it and then we'll move on to something else and we'll move on to something else when... It's about time that the public took responsibility for what they believe and what they question and what they do with the knowledge that they gain. If you want to absorb the nonsense that you're told every day, that's up to you and you must face the consequences. But you cannot and should not take your information from those and think that you're being told the truth. And that's exactly the reason that Boris and Sunak tried to get away with saying that they had the... um, that they were selected on that was because see if the media backed them and the public wasn't going to be angry enough, they would have carried on just doing what they want to do. It's always a test. It's a test on how much they can get away with before the public say no. It's the same with Dominic Cummings. Dominic Cummings does this trick exactly the same way. They go on TV, they float something. If the public aren't angry, it will become a policy. If the public get angry, they'll mediate it a little bit, but they'll still come back a week later with something different. The public need to educate themselves. The public need to get angry and the public need to do something about it because until they do, the same thing is going to keep happening and happening and happening. Well done. Sorry, I'm I'm making cock jokes in the comments. Um... <laughs> I did co- come into my allotment on Friday morning to find a, a visitor. Um, and long story short, he, he had 
he had bloody chicken nits. He had what's called red mite. So now all my chickens have got red mite. Um, <sighs> so I've got to like, oh, you've got is this to- like chicken STDs? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Uh, so it infests the chickens um, and it infests the coop. So I've got to like treat the chickens and then I've got to treat the coop. It's a total nightmare. And I've got to wait till I've got some more money because it's going to cost me lots. <laughs> See, I thought when you said cock jokes, I thought you were talking about Jeffrey Bezos's rocket. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. Why do you look like a penis? It's exactly like on Austin Powers too. When it's like this, it's like Star Trek and all their phallic symbols. Yeah. Weird. Why? Ah. <laughs> And I think it was last week that I said, if the billionaires are going to go to space, can they please have the courtesy to stay there? <laughs> I'm glad more people are coming around to that now. Let's go back to the question that was raised by Mark Longley, which is, what do people think about Katie Price's drive to make sure people have to show ID to get an account on social media? Oh. Jackie jumped in and said, depends on the ID needed. Uh, might get rid of scammers, but might also keep lots of us off these social media accounts. I mean, I can bring in the exact same arguments again, uh, can't I? You know, we're going to look at the most marginalised people in society. Do they have I- the ID that will allow them to access social media? And for people who are exploring their identity and exploring their sexuality and their gender presentation you know it might be difficult for them to get a an account that isn't in their dead name um but also domestic domestic abuse survivors you know a lot of domestic abuse survivors go on social media Mm -hmm. on through aliases so that they can escape their their uh, attackers so there's so many always I always whistleblowers go, yeah whistleblowers Vonnie says it'll be another way to censor communication mm-hmm. uh, and I say that as somebody who has you know I have been harassed on social media I have had people set up uh, probably up to sort of 25 separate Twitter accounts to harass me yeah. um, and it would be so much easier if the police could have access to their information um but also what what you're dealing with there is the british police dealing with social media companies that are often in america so there's extra issues there about how do our police engage with uh companies that are that are not in our country and don't actually have to follow our laws you know what are our laws? Because like it doesn't matter whether they know who you are or not. They know who Boris Johnson is. They know who Pretty Patel is. They know when they say oh. something racist, and they don't do anything about it. So it doesn't matter who you are. It's not an ID issue. It's the fact that no one seems to care because when they do that, something racist. Because it's not a, it's not about that. And this is the issue where we come back to again that it isn't about anonymity. It isn't about you know, racism, it isn't about people being bullied. What this is about is making sure that people who expose things that governments don't want to be exposed and companies that are wealthy don't want to be exposed are shut down. This isn't about protection of the public. And this is where the left, and I'm going to criticise them again, need to be coming out and, and making a stand because 
if the people, right, if the government who really say that they care about the abuse that people get on social media, oh, they, they care about racism, they care about these things, well, then they would change the laws that they make in daily society that are racist, that are sexist, that are homophobic, that are, you know, discriminatory against, you know, people who are poor, that are discriminatory against, you know, all sorts of issues. And I think that what people need to do, once again, is take a step back and realize that it's not about the issue they're being told to be angry about, that it's about something else. And I think, you know, this is the, the thing that they're not doing very well. They're not looking at things through the perspective of, of what it's actually about. And they're wanting to jump on a bandwagon and get angry, you know. Does Stuart or John want to come in on this? No. <laughs> it's difficult. I mean, I'm on social media on my own name. You're on social media on your own name. Tina's on social media under her own name. Paul's on social media under his own name. Stuart's under his uh, name. And I think it's the not the use of um, uh, norms de plume which is the issue, it's the misuse of them. And, uh, that uh, I can, I mean, my uh, niece goes under, um, and my own daughter go under different names because they are both in jobs that can get them physically assaumed, mm. mind um, sort of abused on, on the media. So you have, and so you, you think, well, it's absolutely correct that they should be allowed to have uh, an account in a name which doesn't um, draw them, draw attention to them. I think it's very different when you get these people like Hamish McCadder, who are, 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 are going around just pouring out vitriol and hate um, uh, personal nastiness and the I think the the issue is not the name you go under but as Paul says the accountability at the end of it mm. and, um, sort of you know that when you try to get something done about Hamish McAdder um, the police said well we don't know who he is yeah, even though I had like three pieces of evidence that indicated who he was. Uh, the problem is we have the laws in place for these things. We have the Malicious Communications Act, which can actually um, be enforced against tweets and comments on social media. But if somebody chooses to go via an alias in order to get and the social media companies know information about these people they know their ip address they know the email account they used to set up their account and things like that but in order to get that information the police need court order um in order to, in order to force the social media companies to give them that information so actually what we what we need is just a little bit more cooperation from social media companies um and then we could get these people um, prosecuted under the laws that we've got already. Um, there's not that, just there's, just for the not, people not, who don't know, Hamish McAdder is Samantha's long-term troll on mm. uh, social media who keeps keeps on setting up new accounts in order to troll Samantha. 
and we think he's secretly in love with you. <laughs> it does seem That's to be obsessed, doesn't he? He's yeah. quite um, obsessed. You know, there's a th- there's a fine line between love and hate. <laughs> have we not then come round, Sam, full um, full circle to what we dismissed earlier in the evening? that the social media companies have a responsibility to um, do more to um, prevent this kind of thing. And, yeah. and, and sort of Neil Terry comes out, you know, they've got software that can tell the difference between a male and a female nipple. Um, sort of, but apparently we can't recognize racism and-, and, and yeah. Well, yeah, but that's an interesting, um it's an interesting point isn't it because if you navigate twitter from germany all glorification of of nazi ideology is is deleted you can't access it because it's illegal so we know it's possible for them to omit information if they want to but they choose not to omit uh, quite a lot of racism and homophobia uh, and other just aggression because actually it's, it's better for their algorithms. Um, it's better what the social media companies actually want is for you to spend a lot of time scrolling through your feed so that they can sell your attention to their advertisers. And if you're busy having an argument with someone, even if it's not a very pleasant argument, you are giving them that what they want the the attention for their advertisers so we know that they can do a lot more than they do and then then choosing not to i think that this is absolutely valid sam i i went through a phase where every time somebody came on my timeline with a a a racist meme i challenged that racist meme and very often i hunted down the lie in the meme and and sort of and oh, I was just inundated with these memes because Facebook had, had decided I actually enjoyed seeing these memes. And um, in, in, in the end, I became so distressed. I just deleted about four people, blocked about four people. Um, and I didn't see any of these memes ever again. And, and, and sort of they're out there. But it's, it's ever such a difficult thing. Um, and I suppose it's well, also to do with where your personal boundaries lie. Um, I a lot just, of people, like a lot of people, had that thing, and I did personally. Did you see that um, photo of the England fans with one of them with a flare up his bum? <laughs> I shared that, and I, that's the first time I've ever had anything blocked by Facebook. It's really <laughs> weird that like that immediately as soon as I put it up, that was blocked, and I was like. I think it's just people reporting it. I think people report stuff and things disappear and this show's been reported before and disappeared and, and come back and it's just like... I, I had that call as well. It's got a, there was this... Um, did you see the meme uh, with um, uh, the, the car, the, the car in the flood and there was a sticker in the back that said mm. F you greeter and people were commenting on the irony. Um, and so, because it was um, a, a Photoshop fake, and that's the first time I've ever had anything um, blocked, and they they they, they blocked that um, because it was fake. Strange, isn't it? 
Shall we have a couple of minutes of Tina ranting on about the Labour Party? Because, like, you know, just just before <laughs> we go, because uh, we we're kind of limited in this in this respect, but it is massive. Like both of mine and Tina's moments of the week alluded to this. Like I, I mentioned, the fact that there are so many huge things going on, and then the UK Labour Party are just going after. I don't even know they're who staff. they're going after. Very interesting <laughs> as well, and I've sent a few friends a little messages tonight and like what what are they gonna they, they're going to be kicking people out for being members of something like a socialist think tank we have members and if we were ever prescribed we have members and we have people who like our page that's a different thing and become a member it's great and you can donate as well if you want see i did well there anyway um so uh but you know what constitutes being a member are they going to say because i've known in the past they have said and it's in their own policy a like on facebook and uh, a retweet none of those things constitute agreement yeah they have to they have to be able to prove that you're a member of an organization that they've prescribed so i want to know how they're going to be able to do that so unless they've got some, you know, insider information on membership of organizations, there's no way that they can prove that you are, unless you're going to out yourself, you know, unless you've got in your bio on social media that you're a member of, you know, Socialist Appeal, you know, or something like that. There's no way that they can prove it, you know. It's just, you know, I think, you know, it's just a, I think, you know, Keir Starmer's just trying to do the whole thing that Kinnock did, you know, with Militant and try to look like he's being really strict with the left, but, you know, he's failing massively they, on everything. Didn't they hire, um, haven't they got a spy working for them now, like, or a former Yeah, and they, they've, they, well, they've probably paid for flipping Pegasus as well. That's probably where half of the money's gone. Mm. And that's why they're skint, you know, is that they're trying <laughs> to find out what we're all doing. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, not to repeat too much of what was said before, but, you know, you look at all the issues that are going on in society and, you know, the Labour Party are more concerned about whether someone's left wing or not. You know, it's it's just farcical. It really is. And I don't think it, it's in any way going to you know be hitting home with any of their target demographics for elections or anything. It's just stupid nonsense. And like I say, I think the more the, the thing that I'm more annoyed about is the fact that They've wasted uh, so much of the the party's finances to the point where they're having to make 90 people redundant in the middle of a pandemic. And there are the people that I really feel for. And I think the irony being that this is the party that's um, sort of born from the trade union movement and they don't seem to be respecting, you know, workers' rights. And, you know, from what I hear, it's not really the greatest places to work for anyway. So I just find that there's... You know, when people, you know, in the party want to criticize, you know, certain things that they're maybe criticizing, they need to maybe look a little bit closer to home. And, you know, I mean, anybody who thought that the scenario was going to be any different needs to take a look at themselves in the mirror. You know, Keir Starmer was, you know, exactly he has exactly he has acted exactly the way that he was was ever always going to act and his his history, you know, of um, employment and his record showed exactly that he was a man of the establishment. He was certainly no socialist. And if you listen to people that are in his CLP, he's only ever turned up at his CLP to vote along with the right. So, you know, th- th- this is this was no surprise. And anybody on the left, any socialist who fooled themselves otherwise, well, you know, more fool you, you know. It was written right. on the cards. And, you know, well, this is why I get angry with people who say, 
oh, Keir Starmer was, you know, he's MI5 or he was elected, you know, to do this. He was, he's an establishment stooge and this is what always, you know, this is, you know, he's a plant. Well, no, he was voted by Labour Party members and had the left decided to vote for the left, maybe we wouldn't have been in this position. So you know, the left do need to take responsibility for their actions. Does anyone agree with like the the one out, all out philosophy? Like, should people have been harder at the beginning? Like, you know, they kicked Jeremy Corbyn out, who most people on the left, like a lot of, sorry, not most, a lot of people have been there for years and years and years, but a lot of people joined because of Jeremy Corbyn. And then he's kicked out of the party and then he's reinstated the party, but he's, but then he's had the whip taken away from him. And then they, what they did to Rebecca Long-Bailey and all these things. And nothing's really happened apart from people have drifted away. People have drifted away and they've lost money and they've given money, they've given members money to cases that they could have won and, and what have you. Where's the line? I always think like stay and fight. Where is the line? Oh, well, we'll not cross that. Oh, well, actually, well, actually, well, if, if Corbyn ever gets kicked out, we'll go. Oh, well, Corbyn's being kicked out, but we've got to stay and fight. Stay and get your head kicked in at the minute. I think people Just have to make up their own decision, don't they? What's your own line? Um, what do you stand for? What What's the realism that you think you're going to achieve through the party? And I think so I would that, say you, know, you don't, though. I think everyone should be together. I think probably we had enough organisational capacity to say, what is the line? What is the line? And and then get together and say, what is the line? And that should have been the line. That should have been right. Okay, go. Because people are motivated by different things. People are motivated by their own individual pathway within the party, their own individual path to power. And I think, um, you know, I think that... Um, people need to be realistic about what the Labour Party is, what it tries to achieve and what it's going to achieve and, and, and what its purpose is. And I think that, you know, people need to come along that individual journey themselves. Some people will never um, accept what Labourism is and some people will. And I think that that's just the way it's always going to be. I think the, the issue is, Paul, that there is no monolithic body which is left-wing Labour, that there are sort of a diverse group of people all of whom uh, are used to disagreeing with each other just as much as they disagree with people to their right. And, and sort of, so you're never going to get any um, sort of um, common decision about whether we go or whether we stay, um, unless there is some kind of um, uh, event. So, for instance, if um, Corbyn was eventually to say, that's it, I've had it, I'm going to move and form a, a socialist party. I suspect that that would be a, um, uh, a catalytic event for large numbers of people on the left of the Labour Party. Do you think the but, left are too nice as well, John? Because you... I think the story, the thing... I'm going to you, tell you've you seen story, this as well, because you, you've, you've been Sedgefield through the Blair years, and then you've been through the more recent years where it's been led by socialists. Are the left too nice? I'm going to tell you a story here. I, when I was at university half a century ago, I studied the um, Protestant Revolution during, in the reign of Mary. And there were all these Protestant priests who got arrested and whipped down to London. And they were given a choice. 
you didn't have to burn. If you recanted, you could go back and carry on being a vicar. And sort of, I read all the things, and for every one person that was burned, there were hundreds of priests who went down there and begged forgiveness and said it was all stupidity and could they be forgiven again and they, they, they would renounce their Protestant misgivings and they'd go back and they'd go back to their parishes and carry on exactly as before. And the question is, which did more for the embedding of Protestantism in uh, England in the, in the 16th century? Was it those few who were burned for their faith and were beacons, literally, for the Protestant faith? Or was it those people who sort of just said what was necessary to survive and then went back and just kept working for Protestantism in their own parishes? And the answer, both of them. Both of those things had a, had a part. And there are people who are standing up and causing a real shout of it. And God bless them, because the Labour Party is moving to the right and we need to stop it. But there are a whole load of people who are just biding the time and being left wing and just waiting for the tide to turn. And sort of and speaking up, as you're well aware, in their CLPs and having their say but being prepared to lose and then turn up next month and make the same points and lose again. And though both those people are important within, within establishing a Labour Party, which bears some resemblance to something that was marginally left-wing. And that's, that's where we, we lost our opportunity under Corbyn. We should have said, we don't give a damn that he lost. We, this is the course we're going on. This is the right course. But we didn't. We, actually, we, we brought in this time server, this tired man who thinks the answer to people's hearts is to just say any, just sweat blood to get their respect. And he's uh, sort of disastrous. We need to see it out because it will turn around at the end. That's what I think about it anyway. If there's any money left. Which there is. Well, I mean, sort of, you know, funnily enough, um, it, it, it's funny that in history, things like money very often have much more effects uh, on toppling regimes than, than all, all the ideologies in the world. If this lot run out of money, sort of, that may well be the end of them, or at least the end of what they're doing. Sort of, I think we've got to hunker down um, for the moment. Uh, sort of, and there's a story of the tree. Do you know the story of the oak tree and the reed, Tina? The oak tree stands strong, and he says, and he mocked the reeds, and you weak thing, just wishy-washy, flip-flopping, the slightest breeze. And there was a huge storm, and the oak tree braced itself against the storm. But eventually, the storm was too much for it, and its trunk broke, and it crashed to the earth. And the 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 the, the reed, the storm passed, and the reed popped up again. And, and sort of some of us are oak trees and God bless you. And others of us are just reeds. <laughs> Flippy floppy. You've got, to, you've got to love them all. Thank you, Jane. I love John. You have to, you have to give context. We do, we do have podcast listeners, John. Some uh, people yeah. are just listening. 
somebody amazingly uh, uh, appreciated what I said. The uh, uh, sort of thing, <laughs> so rare <laughs> that I noticed it immediately. God bless you all. So yeah, we don't. Uh, 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 is is labour done? Is it is it? I am going to have to love you and leave you guys. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, but I'm going to have to leave you um, discussing all sorts and, and potentially ranting about the Labour Party without me. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, but I am going to have to say cheerio to you all tonight. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on, because my golly, Tina, you haven't half stirred up things. <laughs> well, that's me. I'll always do that for you. Agitator in the true sense of the word. And um, we need to be challenged and we need to be threatened. You've got to have somebody to come in and, you know, make people think something else, you know, no, whether no, you believe no. it or not, you got to you got to ruffle those feathers. You've been a joy, Tina. Cheerio. Thanks for having me. Shall bye, we, um, bye. Shall we all? Uh, are we? Oh, yes, is that let's it? All for go. This thing? I think we're all off. Shall today, we say good night then? Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night, good night, good night, good night, good night, good night, good And I noticed that my finger is proof that I was doing the decorating this afternoon. Um, the, um, the moment of the week, who am I going to start with? Uh, uh, Sam, what's your moment of the week? Thank you. So uh, yesterday, the government published its next 50 schools that are part of its school building project. So this is now 100 schools that the government is going to rebuild. Um, in, my, in my ward, we have a school that is so badly in need of rebuilding that you're not actually allowed in it anymore they've they've actually um there are no children being attended attending the school um and they they've the school's on two sites and they've got all the kids being educated on the other site um but sadly for reasons beyond my comprehension that school hasn't made the cut for the school rebuilding program and a school which is in perfect working order in Aycliffe which is the next town over has made the cut for the school building project and it's and it's an academy as well the one that has been uh, granted the funding so it's a bit of a mystery as to why our school is is seemingly less in need of rebuilding than theirs um it's uh yes my door has opened i have had to open my door because <laughs> otherwise i'll die <laughs> um so it's frustrating i mean i was really angry this morning um because it's a huge problem for our town. We really need that funding. Um, but uh, I've now gone on to the uh, the purposefulness of of trying to drive home why that is. And I've got a meeting on, on Friday um, and I'll push forward with it then. But So, yeah, really frustrating news for people who are fans of children being able to be educated in buildings which actually have intact sewers. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, um, uh, sort of the... Um, and of course, Greenfield in Newton Native surviving on um, kind of pods of um, the, the just putting um, units on top of each other in the terms mm -hmm. units on top of each other. Um, 
uh, hot socialists die in small cupboards. Uh, they, they do indeed, Neil Terry, but that's why uh, Tories hide in fridges. Think of that. <laughs> um, sort of, Stuart, your moment of the week. Uh, I'll keep it humble. Uh, I was given a sausage roll by a man. So, no, uh, what I was doing, I was out in New Nacliffe uh, campaigning uh, over the universal credit uplift, making sure that we keep the 20 quid. Uh, I, I had a, a comrade there helping me out and a gentleman came over with coffee and sausage rolls and uh, he, he made sure that we could continue on and, you know, kept us fed and, you know, that was really heartwarming. I really like the people in New Nacliffe. Yes. It's just, um, just uh, you don't need much encouragement to, to feel heartened and, and on it. But what you were doing there, Stuart, was just so vitally important. This £20 is, and, and of course, um, uh, Sam will be able to tell us that last week, the, um, the, the County Council decided, uh, the powers that be, that it wasn't going to make a public statement. It was going to be quietly around the back door. Um, Tina, moment of the week. Well, it would be wrong of me not to include a big kick at the Labour Party, you know, whenever I'm given a bit of a moment of the week. And I think many of us were shocked today. I think, you know, you touched on it slightly earlier um, about the fact that organisations are being uh, prescribed from um, the Labour Party. But I think, you know, there's there's a little bit more to this as well. Maybe I think... Um, what has seemingly been overshadowed by the uh, thousand or so members or whatever it's going to be that are going to be um, excluded is the fact that 90 staff members are being um, handed their uh, redundancy packages today because, you know, the um, state of the party finances is that uh, they're not going to be able to pay wages very soon. Um, but on the grapevine, I'm hearing that apparently there is some... Uh, temporary staff that are being hired through agencies don't quote me on this i'm just saying this is you know this is what i'm hearing on the grapevine so it sounds a little bit like fire and rehire um but you know i'm sure more is going to come out about this you know in the coming uh days and weeks but i just think it's it's a very sad uh situation it's a bit of an indictment on how poor the leadership is that you know, what, maybe, you know, a couple of years ago, we were the biggest party in, in the whole of Europe, thriving. You know, Jeremy had taken us from in the red into the black, and now we're uh, shedding staff in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, we're the party of the workers and workers' rights, et cetera, et cetera. It just feels like it's just going, I, what more can you say that isn't, uh, that isn't uh, really going down the road of let's be here all night being negative about Keir Starmer and his inability to manage the Labour Party. <laughs> well, uh, it's sort of it's a regular story on here too. Um, and uh, who's there? Is it Paul? You're the only person who I haven't asked. What's your moment to hear? Um, I just need to comment very briefly on someone's YouTube name. Willard Wanny is a tremendous <laughs> name. Brilliant. But anyway, so thanks for that comment. Um, yeah, mine's going to be Jeffrey Bezos, Jeffrey Bezos, Jeffrey Bezos. You did it. He's gone to space. And um, Did I'm they wearing... not have left him there? 
Yeah, I'm wearing a little NASA T-shirt today because that was when like things used to be funded by the public, um, sort of in a weird like anti-communist way. But anyway, um, they they used a load of socialism to get the space before, and they used it for the good of humanity. But now it's just like billionaires doing genuine like um, supervillain stuff. And you've got like what Tina's just described in the Labour Party. In the Labour Party, you've got there's a pandemic on. There's billionaires literally like acting as if they're supervillains and people's lives being destroyed. And there's been like, you know, I've just read a book called Cokeland, which is, is all about um, Charles Coke, who has spent like 50 years just poisoning the public's mind with like fake things about climate change and putting doubt in people's minds because he's got an oil industry like to to fund his massive billionaire habit and it's like yeah but let's focus on a thousand people who have liked a facebook page in the labor party it's embarrassing the world is in an absolute mess and anyone who's got any decency about them whatsoever should all be uniting together but instead People are just letting this, like, this idea, oh, yeah, yeah, they've earned their money. They've earned their right to go to space. How, who am I to say that someone shouldn't earn more in their lifetime than anyone should do in 34,000 years? And it's like, how am I? Don't be Come such on. a communist, Paul. <laughs> Anyone know what a billion is? There's a brilliant video I saw the other day where he wrote, like, he wrote a million and then he did, like, he, he wrote a million loads and loads of times and there was just like chunks and chunks of them and he's like right i'll hide i'll get rid of a million there you won't be able to say it it's utterly ridiculous amounts of money and him going to space is probably like most like people buying something like i don't know a bag of crisps or a chocolate bar that kind of like i won't miss that i won't miss that space money i'll just go to space i've got it's embarrassing where this where this world has ended up and all of a sudden we're seeing like climate change looking like feeling like like it's it's really happening like i think it's it is it is it 19 out of the out of the last um 19 of the hottest years on record have been in the last 20 years or something like that so we're seeing these real things these real actions of this nasty sort of selfish awful mentality and you've got the so-called left caring more about some people who want to see socialism. It's embarrassing. Thank you, Paul. Very, very sobering. Sorry. But I started off quite funny, though. And if anyone's confused, have you seen Bo Burnham's Inside? Has no one seen that? So you won't, will have no clue why I sang about Jeffrey Bezos. Right, okay. We'll maybe put the link up later on to the song. I, we assumed you were being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a song. We it was irony. Um, okay, um, uh, let's move on. <laughs> now it's time for the big story. I was a bit surprised when this hit top spot on the poll. Really? So, um, Sam, tell us, tell us all about it. And, and, and um, is Chris Hood with us on the... Um, is Chris Hood? Because it'd be... Um, I think I'd help... I'd appreciate somebody other than me trying to hold Sam to account for it. Um, the um, sort of... Because uh, I don't really wholly know. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. So, sort of listen to what um, Sam's saying and, and, and then because you may want to come back about it. Uh, sort of, Sam... 
Okay, so um, this is Durham-centric, I'm afraid, but I'm sure most people will be able to understand the themes and understand why it, it, it shocked quite a few people. Um, so the Labour Party put a motion forward in Durham County Council um, talking about the, the state of the funding crisis. And, and as everyone will know, um, councils have a lot of responsibility for child and adult social care. So one of the one of the kind of resolutions of the motion was to, um, to, to call on the government to solve the funding crisis in um, social care. So as, as happens, uh, the motion was amended by the, uh, the people who are currently in power in Durham County Council. Um, but one thing, and, and most of it was just moving, moving words around a little bit, didn't really change the overall sentiment of the, uh, the motion, except that the deputy leader of Durham County Council chose to highlight this idea of there being a, a care crisis. Um, and, you know, on video, clear as day, in the makeshift council chamber that we have, <laughs> said that there was no funding crisis in uh, adult social care and that um, the Labour group should get their information from facts and not primary school level BBC reports. Uh, that was the first really insulting, uh, demeaning thing he said about the Labour group that day. There were many more, uh, mostly focusing on our use of social media to communicate with our constituents, which I also thought was a bit weird. So, I mean, for me and for many other people in the room, it was just very much sort of what planet are these people living in? You know, I know somebody in my community who hasn't had a bath since Friday and probably won't get a bath until next Friday when his not being able to access his bath in his home becomes an emergency. Um, I don't know under what um, situation you think an adult human being able to access basic hygiene during a heat wave is not a crisis, but that's where we are. So obviously the Labour Party reacted very emotionally. A lot of us are carers, I'm a carer. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really hard to hear people say things like that when you know what's happening on the ground. Um, but yeah, it, it's strange, very strange, but that this is, this is where we are. Is this not a case of willful mishearing um, sort of uh, on both parts? Because the motion said the crisis in child and adult social care. And he just chose to ignore the word child. And his comments were about adult social care. And sort of, um, uh, sort of so there was a, a deception going on there, um, uh, sort of. And um, uh, there were two, two points. The first thing is if he talked about child uh, social care, he would have had to accept that with the county council has pumped millions in to keep that afloat. Um, sort of, but he chose to focus on adult social care. And he, he had two points, I was thinking I remember him talking. One, that they hadn't had to pump any money into adult social care. And two, that um, the um, Labour group had chosen not to take the 3% um, social care premium all at one go, but to spread it over a number of years. And therefore, this to him proved that the, the Labour group realised there, there wasn't a crisis in adult social care. So to now, 
I mean, the, the, the issue about the uh, the 3% social care grant is absolute uh, trickery um, because um, you could take it all at once or you could spread it over. And there's a big debate about it. And we agreed to spread it over the years rather than get the money up front and then wonder what the hell we were going to do the next two years. I was part of that decision. Um, but it is true, is it not, that... Um, the um, they, the county council has not had to pump money into adult social care the way uh, that we've had to pump it into child social care. Yeah, that seemed to be the thrust of his argument, which obviously uh, forgets that, that there are lots more revenue streams available for adult social care than there are for, for child social care. You know, a, a child who is orphaned or is estranged from their parents because of alcohol misuse can't get a job and work for 20 years and buy a house in order to pay for their care um so but but it's just this is because what has happened is the the conservatives have got where they are based on the idea that the Labour Party have been uh, reckless with their money and we charge too much council tax and now they are in the driving seat they have found that the previous decisions made by the council were based on solid financial advice by experts and that they aren't going to be able to fulfill their promises of reducing or freezing or re reducing the speed of council tax increases because actually it's the government's advice for councils to increase council tax in order to plug the funding gap that they have created. Smashing, <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, so to Chris Hood, um, I'm, I'm watching the, the stream. Anything you say, we will, um, we will um, repeat. We'll, we can't speak to you about this, um, but we can um, uh, take uh, what you say and make sure that that side of the argument is based. Paul, what's your, what's your comment on this? Um... I do think a lot of people do live in a different world. And I think when, um, when like, I think Chris has just made a comment in that he doesn't agree with what this councillor is saying. And, and Chris knows full well what, you know, what the realities of this situation are. Um, what I think is that a lot of people see Labour and Conservative as, uh, ah, they're all the same. They're all the same. And when they see people like us getting really annoyed that someone voted for a conservative to be in charge of education for example well i'm in education and it's absolute mess because of the national tory policy and the local people are agreeing with those with with um with what the national government have done we know from speaking on the on the predecessor from this show with people like paul howell that they agree with what the national government are doing. They agree with academisation, which a lot of people in the Labour Party do. Um, they agree with like the reduction in social care. They agree with austerity. They agree with all these things. These people are the architects of the problems that we're in. And I'm not saying everyone in the Labour Party is perfect, but there are some out of touch and in a lot of cases quite nasty people in local politics who are conservatives and you know I, I just couldn't possibly bring myself to associate myself in any way with a person like that 
Although I could say that for some people in the Labour Party, some people in the Labour Party lately have been absolutely disgraceful on like things like, um, you know, on racism. And I see Trevor Phillips has just been allowed into the party. So this isn't like everyone in the Labour Party is good and everyone in the Conservative Party is bad. But the vast majority of people in the Conservative Party, unless they've been living under a rock and they don't know what the Conservatives stand for, ideologically, I could never agree with people like that. So therefore... This came as no surprise to me because they do not understand how ordinary people live their lives. And you don't need to live that life. You don't need to have experienced that yourself to try and find these things out. Like I, as a teacher, see all sorts. I see affluent kids. I see like like poorer kids who have nothing and I see everything in between. And Lord, there's so many problems. And I think it's so easy to dismiss that if all you've ever done is work in an accountant's office or had your own business or 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 you just see that you, your tenants as being like some kind of scum, which a lot of them do because they're all big landlords or a lot of them are. And it's that kind of thing. So yeah, I guess that's what I've got to say about it. Thank you, Paul. Um, I'm looking at what Chris Hodes said. Doesn't agree with Councillor Bell. Um, he believes that there is a crisis that needs looking at urgently by central government. And uh, he then goes on um, to say what he thinks about uh, proposals in 2019 and the uh, respect uh, and awe he has um, for those people who work in, so in care and unpaid carers throughout the pandemic. Um, however, he did... Um, vote for the amendment because instead of just writing to the PM, it wrote also to the Secretary of State for Housing, Communities and Local Government. Thank you very much, uh, Chris, for those comments. Um, Stephen Patterson, um, who has got direct um, uh, experience of adult social care, says that the crisis um, is because providers have given up asking for financial help. It's been pointless because it falls on deaf ears. There's little point in berating DCC because they are the farmers and the grain merchant said no. My client group were disabled from birth and never managed to acquire assets. There are also almost no private funders in learning disability care. If we weren't debt free and had income from investments, we wouldn't be able to operate. And apparently there's no crisis. But there, there, sh there shouldn't, sorry to interject. No, no, Gina, but the, I just get really, I mean, that last comment, maybe I picked it up wrong, but <clears throat> is that person saying that they're disadvantaged because there's no private investment in in uh, their healthcare? No, no, what he was saying is that the only reason that his home manages to continue to function to care for these people is because they have access to private investments that yeah which is which is exactly the problem and and you know sorry to you know this irks me and this is is part of a, a wider conversation paul this is where i'm going to completely contradict you because and, and not often that we do this but the labor party is no different to the conservatives they do not believe in the welfare state. And this is what we're talking about here. This is what we're talking about when we talk about adult social care, when we talk about child social care, when we talk about the NHS, when we talk about all public services. The Labour Party is no different. And that's what you know you come to realise after time within it when you see what people are arguing for and what, what certain wings are for. And the, the whole idea is that it's taken away the state responsibility for our 
our health and well-being. And we've seen that, you know, quite, a, you know, across quite a lot of streams, including education. The Labour Party are no different. What we're actually fighting for at the moment is the maintenance of what's left of our social welfare state. And we should be fighting for that as socialists. And, and that's what we should be trying to champion, not just within the Labour Party, but within society itself. Nobody, nobody should be relying on private investment for any sort of health care whatsoever. And I think that this is what's remiss from society at the moment. And this is, you know, where we need to really be, be talking about them, whether it's a local council, whether it's a county council or whether it's central government. What we should be talking about is how the economy functions, how money is created and how it is spent. And unless we get to grips with what really happens in how money is created from the Bank of England and, and, and how um, taxes really operate. Taxes, there isn't just a big money pit of taxes for the government to give out. Oh, we'll proportion Durham County Council this amount of, of the pot and, you know, and, and whatever, um, you know, Essex County Council can have this amount of the pot. It, the pot doesn't exist. Money is created from the Bank of England. It's given out in, in its proportions. And then we create ta taxes are brought back in to you know, balance the economy, to balance inflation. And until we stop with this you know, notion of handbag economics that was brought in by Thatcher, we are never going to get people to come back around to the idea that we can have fully funded public services and we deserve to have fully funded public services. And, you know, I've kind of broken free, I think, from the whole notion of conservative, bad, labour, good. There's a lot of them and the majority of them are all the same and they all are capitalists who believe in the free market and they believe that you, you get what you give and you pay in and you can take out what you pay in. No, we have to fight for something different. Spot on. I'm sure Stephen would agree with you, by the way. Um, so they're absolutely word for word. Um, and of course, just um, the, the government um, this week floated an idea for how you can not lose your home. And they're going to set up, so, you know, because of needing social care, and they're going to set up some kind of insurance scheme, um, which will be offered to you in the two years after you retire. And it's exactly the same thing that you're going mad about, Tina. Last word, Stuart, on this. Well, I mean, people were quick to back up the fella to say, well, there's no crisis in social care, is there? But just today, there's a headline saying Boris Johnson considering raising national insurance to fund social care reforms. You know, I mean, the, the, the Tories know they need to reform. They know it's a crisis. But, like, local conservatives... And Lib Dems will give this man who denies the, the damage, the hurt, you know, the lives lost, right? It's basically just said, like, didn't happen. There's nothing to worry about. Gives him a free pass. That hurts me. Yeah. To carry on hurting people. Um, Volney, um, Labour is now part of the establishment. Isn't that exactly what happened? For a while, we weren't part of the establishment. For a while, we were criticising the establishment and we came so damn close uh, to, to making it stick. And sort of the, the, the establishment turned its fire on Labour and sort of Labour's reaction was not to say, right, uh, next time we're going to score the penalties and win the game. 
uh, sort of labels. Oh, golly, golly, we've got to be, we've got to be part of the establishment. Oh, dear, 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 dear. We're going to get rid of all these troublemakers. And uh, so absolutely spot on. Right. Um, okay. Um, other questions? Um, everybody's still going mad um, about um, social care. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'd love to see. And secondly, a, a lot of love for you, Tina. We love a good month. Um, Paul, um, no, right, okay, three questions. We have 25 minutes. That's eight minutes a question, two minutes each person. Please note, watch the clock, okay? Um, uh, sort of, um, Paul, outrage aimed at number 10 as MPs back a four billion cut to foreign aid. Okay, so the, there's something built into this. So the, they, they decided that there was a 0.7% foreign aid budget. And this has actually been quite a controversial thing in very right wing or, or nationalist circles. So like UKIP people, for example, have been banging on about this for a while about, oh, why don't we look after our own before we look after other people? So that's always been a thing. But then when it comes to it, they don't want to look after their own either because they're like, oh, all these people claiming benefits so they can feed the families. Um, so they'll get really upset about that. Um, so Boris Johnson and his cronies have decided that they are going to cut the foreign aid budget from 0.7% to 0.5%, which equates to about $4 billion of, of the economy. Now, he said it was to try and, like, you know, because our tough times... Um, you need to do less, but actually that's built in because it's a percentage of how well you're doing rather than um, rather than just a fixed sum. So, so it's not really because you're facing harder times. It's it, that's built in, but actually, like you've had three former prime ministers who've come out heavily against this: uh, Theresa May, um, David Cameron, and. Um, was it Gordon Brown Major, as well? Major, John Major. Oh, John Major, so it's three former conservative ones. Now, if they want to do this, this is actually used as a as a, as a a way to influence other countries as well. I don't think it is giving them no strings money. It's a way to influence them, and they think it's like losing <clears throat> your standing in the world, and they do talk about people starving and poor stuff. Well, you could do a lot better than that. You could do debt forgiveness if they actually cared. You could just forgive the debt that they've paid 90 times over or whatever. So, like, I'm not 100% sure that, like, people are making the right arguments here about this is an absolutely brilliant thing that they do. They do it for a reason. The foreign aid budget is actually a calculated thing to have influence in other countries. But at the same time, do, is it any use to anyone if people around the world are poor? Is it any use, like in, in, in this, in the world that we're in, we should be looking after one another. We're all supposed to be brothers and sisters. We're all supposed to be helpful to one another. So that's the kind of basis behind everything. I'm not 100% sure it's as cut and dried as Boris Johnson <clears throat> or the former Tory prime ministers would like to say. Thank you. Um, Tina, sort of, um, sort of, is. I mean, is it somebody's saying this is just racism? Is it racist to, to put foreign aid? 
It's populist. Um, it's the conservatives doing what they do best, which is, you know, thinking that this is what the majority of people think or the majority of their voting um, uh, sort of demographic thinks so that that's what they're going to go with. Um, but just a couple of points on this. One is that I, um, I, I really dislike how they um, try to report these things, um, which is a cut from 0.7 to 0.5. What does that mean to the average person on the street? The average person on the street thinks, well, that's next to nothing. It's not even 1%. You know, so that's why they report it like that. Two is that foreign aid, as Paul rightly um, suggests, is political. Um, it is largely given to governments to do whatever they want with, and they will use it really badly. So I think that there's better ways that it can be used. Thirdly, is that um, the leader of the opposition um, decided to say that, you know, this is something that the Labour Party should be fighting against. They really should be. And I was really angry by this. I'm sure you can tell. Um, but the fact that the Labour Party leader um, suggested and, and sorry, didn't suggest, stated in the House of Commons that nobody in the uh, the opposition or across or in the House in general thought that we should return after the pandemic to 0.7%. I found absolutely disgraceful. I was absolutely fuming. I, I just, you know, I was so angry um, because he certainly wasn't speaking for, I would hope, uh, a proportion of the Labour Party. It should be the entirety. Um, the other thing is that, uh, touching on something that Paul has said as well, I mean, many people will know I've said on this show before that um, my husband's in the army. Um, I've worked for a veterans charity as well. And a lot of the right wing um, arguments when it comes to reducing aid is about our soldiers, you know, you know, they could be providing for veterans here on the streets. Well, yes, they could and they should and everybody should be provided for. But there doesn't need to be a choice between the people in need in the UK and the people in need in countries that have largely been deprived due to colonialism and imperialism of the United Kingdom. So I think, you know, there's many ways to look at this, you know, but um, I think there just needs to be a little bit of education about what it is, what it should be and what it could be. Thank you. And you, you, the next question, sort of, Sam, has the um, uh, has the Labour Party not behaved appallingly on this also? Um, I, I, um, um, <laughs> I mean, I do struggle and I do try and avoid talking about the National Party because um, it is depressing the, the level of uh, opposition that we seem to be offering. And I don't know whether it's just not reaching me on the media that I listen to, but also very few people who I talk to seem to feel like the Labour Party are offering uh, serious opposition on most things. Um, and I think that there, there are huge problems with this. You know, we, it for a lot of people, it was a racist dog whistle and... Um, while the Lib Party are narrowing their broad church to a more sort of centrist sort of um, membership after today's move, uh, the, the Conservative Party are really playing to those far right voters um, and, and really trying to make gains in that sector of the population who might have previously voted for UKIP or the BNP. So I think nationally, that's a more worrying trend that our government is getting more and more far right thank you very much indeed yes and a good point finally last word Stuart as always we, for, we're looking for the bond now here 
it's it's economically illiterate to to lower the amount of aid we give because we don't just send bundles of cash in duffel bags. We say, hey, you want to build a bridge? We'll support you to build this bridge for your transport plans, but you've got to buy the bridge from us and you've got to pay British workers to come and put it in. Or if even they're getting military aid, we don't give them a, a, a nation a blank check to go buy airplanes off China. You know, they have to buy planes that were built in Britain. This is supporting British jobs. This is cutting support that goes to our sectors. You know, it's madness. Thank you. And agreed. Um, Tina. Oh, this is the question about um, basically racism, which has yeah. just been whipped into a storm by the, the, the England defeat. Johnson and Patel have been caught out being hypocrites, really. And, and, sort of, and there's a lot of criticism being aimed at the social networks. What do you make of all this? Um, share your ideas with our listeners. Well, I think... The, the one thing that's really kind of frustrated, well, there's quite, quite a few things that frustrated me about this, but um, it's no surprise that uh, Boris Johnson and uh, Pretty Patel, and it really, I, I struggle to call them their names because there are other things I would really like to call them, and I think they deserve to be called. I think censorship's on. Um, yeah, very much so. I'm, I'm doing quite well with the self-censorship tonight. I've learned the lesson, you know, from the last time. Uh, but I think, you know, to be quite honest, it didn't surprise me that the level of, of hypocrisy that they've shown. We know that Boris Johnson's a racist and I don't care how many times you want to send out Robert Jenrick to appear on any TV programme to say, oh, poor pretty Patel suffered racism. Well, just because you've suffered racism doesn't mean you can't be racist. Let's just, you know, lay that one aside. Um, anybody can be racist regardless. I think the thing for me is that Two things that have annoyed me, um, aside from the actual racism itself, because that's, you know, we're, we're annoyed about that. But let's look at the other issues. The other issues are this, that um, there seems to have been a very, we, we seem to have moved on very quickly from the issue was that, you know, there's a huge swathe of, you know, the English public that are very racist. You know, we seem to have moved on from that. And there's other news now happening. That's the what happens with the you know rollout of 24 news 24 hour news and and how we're only fed certain things but the other thing and this is the thing that really irked me about this story and it's really and I just can't let go of this and the left have played into this just as much as the right and it's the fact that we're focusing on social media platforms as if racism had never existed before social media well you know, as I commented on my social media platform, no blacks, no, no, no dogs and no Irish was around a long time before social media platforms were invented. Britain is built on racism. And I think that unless the British public fully come to understand and appreciate their history and what they did through the British Empire, we will never be able to tackle the current climate of racism and where it came from. But to lay it on the ground of social media platforms and to kind of focus on the anonymity of certain accounts is all about, it's not about the issue of racism, it's about another issue, which is about control of social media, which is about preventing people who need to have a voice, who maybe don't have the ability or don't want to show their voice. 
that's got nothing to do with racism. Let's tackle the racism. Let's tackle the blatant racism of our government. Let's not try and blame it on something else. And I think until we, I think, you know, the British public, not all of it, but a lot of the British public do need to come to terms with the history of Britain and how it came to be. And I think then we can tackle the current things. That was brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Um, it's sort of, um, and you've completely scuppered my next question. So, um, Stuart, um, uh, so, I mean, ultimately, Tina's comments uh, lead us to, to what can be done in it. If the answer is not just to sort of prevent it happening by sort of uh, censoring censorship through the social networks, what can we do to change the basic uh, racist nature? of much of our institutions as well as our society. We need better examples, you know, when you, you've got leaders who are clearly openly racist, you know, this isn't just setting an example to the racists out there to be more racist. It's also, you know, bringing people who were not racist into the fold. It's creating an atmosphere where children will become racist because that's the, the experience that they're seeing around them. We, we, you know, we need, we need better examples, better educators, you know, not the shit show we've got now. Thank you. Um, uh, Sam, um, have you got uh, any, any comments to make about um, Johnson and Patel? I think it's all being covered. They're racist, they're nasty. Look in the comments for some nice alternative names for Pretty Patel and, and add your own. Thank you very much indeed. And last comment, Paul. It comes <clears throat> to something when you've got like um, what, what appear to be a really nice set of lads with a good, with a good set of values for playing for England, um, which, you know... It, probably isn't necessarily always associated with football um just you know serving a massive example and again it was i think it was my moment of the week last week when um tyrone mings what he said about pretty patel it's like you can't you can't like basically she was gaslighting everyone wasn't she it's oh it's terrible this racism that i stoked um you know so you've got these people you had jordan henderson wearing rainbow laces when he scored for england and stuff i just like i briefly taught jordan and he was a really nice lad and you can see where that's come from you know he's a just they, they seem to be the kind of people who i would like to see in parliament which is a worry because i can't really see very many of the people in parliament that i particularly want to be there at the moment you know they, they're just getting it wrong on every issue and there's people trying to jump on things they've actually got opinions they know what's right and they're following it through and it's really it's just a bizarre world i sometimes think that we were you know, like um we're living in a parallel universe where the politicians are getting absolutely everything wrong. Boris Johnson, racist time and again. Labour Party really just like trying to be populist and failing miserably. And uh, and football is getting it right. So, um, you know, a lot of respect for them. Um, one of the things that uh, um, horrified me was, um, is it Eccleston um, having, uh, criticising... Um, uh, Lewis Hamilton for his stand on um, uh, racism and black rights. Well, um, yeah, he, uh, he was. Well, he he employed Max Mosley for a long time, who was like <clears throat> well, 
Oswald yeah. Mosley's son, and you know, and and just uh, dreadful, dreadful people. But the, I mean, the point that Eccleston was was that when Lewis Hamilton begins to lose races, then he um, will suffer the backlash of um, his stance on black rights, and and just sort of the establishment lining up to rejoice in the possibility that uh, we may devalue uh, black lives, that we may cease cease to say that black lives matter. And, 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 and you just, the horror of it all. Right, I'm gonna move on. Last question. Um, sort of before this, I uh, do this, Stuart, um, I'm going to ask um, a, a yes or no question. And a sort of, um, uh, has Freedom Day changed your behavior one iota paul yeah how everyone at work stopped wearing a mask are you have you stopped wearing a mask everyone else has so we're all uh we're all i'm not i'm not passing on to anyone we've all been together the entire time it's been it's a really strange place when you've got like difficult experiences and people spitting in your face and things like that Horrific. Come back to you. Sam, has it changed you one bit? I'd like to say no, but it has because um, I went somewhere today and I forgot my mask. So I just went in, but I would have gone home before. But I just thought, well, I'm not going home when it's not the law. And also I'm not scanning in anywhere. Um, on my phone because it just takes time and you don't have to do it anymore. So, thank you, Tina. Well, unfortunately, uh, living in Scotland, rules haven't really changed here, um, like England has. So, you know, there hasn't really been that day here yet, <laughs> right? Um, okay, Stuart, summer chaos predicted as one point. I, I, I'm just carrying on this before. Uh, summer chaos predicted as 1.6 million in England told to isolate in a week. Yeah, uh, we're all getting the pings on our apps. We all have to stay in because everything's on the rise. Uh, cases are going wild. And now we're at a, a, a point where huge numbers of people are being asked to isolate uh, without the support that they had before uh, to the level that employee employers are really worried about uh, staffing levels uh, I'd seen it I'd, I'd heard a couple of them on the radio today really worried that they wouldn't be able to operate at full capacity which just kind of shows you this mentality that we've we've apparently hit some magic threshold where we're all going to be safe and no matters anymore and it's just back to normal and it's really not and this is just the evidence of it thank you very much indeed um leanne powell i am being more careful because it's not freedom day for people like me who are vulnerable for some people the freedom day was a scary thing um not not a, not a freedom thing at all um we have five minutes left so please forgive me three guests um, who, um, if I just sort of say thank you um, and move on. Okay, Tina. Um, I think, you know, I maybe have kind of some different views on um, on, on this kind of, on, on the whole um, issue of 
the, the cases rising uh, and how we move through things. Because I think, you know, we have to look at things in a way of, of course, when more people are mixing, there are going to be more cases. And I think the issue isn't so much that case numbers are rising. I think what we have to be looking at are our hospital stays, um, not just a case of someone, you know, going in, oh, I can't breathe. And, and, and then, you know, after a couple of hours having to come home, are long term hospital cases rising? Are people in ICUs, you know, is that rising? Are deaths rising? And that's what we need to be looking at, because, of course, the virus is going to spread. That is what a virus does when, whenever you open up. And I think we can't remain locked down forever because the, the issues around being locked down are incredible. That, that, that A lot of people haven't thought about the impact on mental illness, the impact of domestic violence, the impact of non-socialization. There are a whole host of issues that need to be looked at. And, and as well as you know, people's businesses not being able to function and the economy. And I think all this stuff does need to be balanced. And you can never just assume that, you know, uh, that there's no risk to anything. There is risk with everything. And I think we have to try and, and get around, you know, how do we open up? How do we look at this? How do we not make people fearful of things that don't need to be fearful of? And how can we balance the fears of what people need to be fearful of and, and, and how we need to moderate that? And I think that it's very difficult to do that whenever you've been pumped full of fear for so long. And I think that's where we need to, we need to be careful of what we're looking at and not, you know, just looking at case numbers as being a case of, oh, we need to lock down because there's a lot of cases. Thank you so much indeed. Um, uh, Sam, uh, do we need to let COVID off the leash and um, sort of hope that um, the, the uh, vaccination stops it um, causing too many deaths in ICU um, uh, people. Yeah, that was the interesting thing that stuck in my head from the Prime Minister's press conference, that he simultaneously said that we, we won't have to have another lockdown as long as we're all very careful, but he also said that we really do need cases to rise a bit now, because if, if people don't, basically, if the people who are going to die don't die now, they'll die in the winter and cause more problems <laughs> because they'll backlog our NHS. Now... I found that very uh, difficult to hear from the leader of our country. Um, maybe that is, you know, the brutal reality of it. I'm not sure. But I just think that we could have released some restrictions rather than all of them all at once. Um, I, I think there, would, there was, would be no harm in keeping masks indoors, for example. Um, I just think um, it all seems a bit all too much and especially when you see the the news and the news stories of young people sort of running into nightclubs and all like cuddling each other and dancing all over each other because they can you just think mm, does this seem like a sensible position for the government to have put us in probably not thank you and uh paul um the schools have um uh, of course, out for holidays now. Is that going to help the government achieve its aims of letting off the uh, restrictions without causing a massive um, uh, crisis of the NHS? Yeah, yeah, it will help um, because we all know that uh, schools have been driving this infection because it is the place where 
families go, like some members of the family go and then they bring it back and we know this and, and I suppose that's part of the attitude when I said earlier on that none of us in our school wore a mask. Pretty much everyone's had COVID, pretty much everyone's double jabbed and um, you know we know that the things that the government were telling us to do in schools were to look like they were doing something rather than actually stop the transmission which is why like so when i'm out and about i'm going to wear a mask when i'm when i'm on public transport i'll wear a mask when i go in a shop i'll wear a mask but at work when we've been in that situation that we've been in for such a long time we're just kind of like well this is this is ridiculous you know all the things they've asked us to do they told us that we could be uh, that we had to put our mask on in a corridor but we didn't have to in a classroom so COVID apparently knew to stay outside the classroom. It's just, it's just ludicrous. Everything they've asked us to do is ludicrous. At the moment, if you have a meeting, you have to walk with your mask on and then sit down and then take off. Well, that was last week. Take off your mask when you sat down because COVID knows if you're sitting down, you know, you, you shouldn't be going. You, COVID knows it shouldn't be going into you if you're sitting down. It's just been stupid. It's all been a pretense for a long time now. And he does want it to spread throughout that. So we should be aiming any criticism rather than at one another for not looking after each other. It's these mixed messages and this absolute stupidity that winds people up and makes people not respect the actual um, restrictions that were in place. And I don't think it's made a blind bit of difference other than we're allowed to have a little bit of fun now. I have so many things I want to ask you, but we're out of time, Paul. Thank you very much. For that. It'll be, that'll be the last word of our fabulous comments on the um, uh, comment stream. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, we could have had any one of you on the show. Um, really good comments coming up there. Um, I advise everybody to read them. Uh, for the moment, you know what's going to happen. We're going to go away. Uh, when we come back, you'll be rid of me. Um, and you'll have um, the wonderful Samantha Townsend uh, chairing the meeting. And uh, it's a bit more uh, relaxed. And uh, we, we get into uh, more of a debate with you and um, look at some of the things you've been saying and uh, tell you how brilliant you were. So uh, we're going to listen to No Pass Around now for five minutes. And, and we'll gather back sort of in easy mode. <laughs> Like the Tories play politics. See you in a second. <laughs> <laughs>